It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Lockdown Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Just quickly wanted to apologize for anybody that had audio issues with the show yesterday. We did find that we had uploaded the show in stereo when it should have been in mono. That should not be an issue going forward. We also have heard your feedback about the volume disparity between our recording and the Uh, the advertisements that come on, and we will be hopefully getting some audio consistency. But for today, we have a great show for you. We'll quickly go through a couple of interesting news pieces. We'll talk about what a win-now plan might look like. And Joe got an interesting question on Twitter from Waldo Roran, and he asked, essentially, what would break your Bengals fandom? We'll get into that. But first, the news. A couple Bengals pieces here. The Athletics' Will Salmon has reported this morning that the Bengals have formally requested permission to interview Florida's Todd Grantham to be defensive coordinator. Salmon says he appears to be a league candidate for the job. Last week, we heard that the Bengals got permission to interview Aubrey Pleasant, but we haven't seen an update yet on how that went. Grantham, currently at Florida, is one of the highest paid assistant coaches in college football, earning nearly $1.5 million per year. Friend of the show, John Sheeran, over at Cincy Jungle, wrote that Grantham has several prominent coaching trees in his background, including Nick Saban, Wade Phillips, and Romeo Cornell. We previously also mentioned that he does have a little bit of NFL defensive coordinator experience when he worked for Cleveland under Cornell. A few player connections that are interesting are that he coached Sean Williams in 2013 at Georgia when Sean Williams called the plays, and uh, currently in this Upcoming draft, he has coached top 15 prospects, Ja'Kai Polite and Jeffrey Simmons at Florida and Mississippi State, respectively. Joe, what do we think about Todd Grantham? Oh, he also coached Montez Sweat. I forgot about that. Probably also a top 15 pick. Uh, So just something to think about when we get in the draft mode and if he becomes the defense coordinator. I don't know what to think about him. He's bounced around and had short stays throughout his entire career from the NFL and college. He typically runs a 3-4 type defense. We'll see if that continues. we see if that matters at all. We talked about that week one on the podcast. Uh, Mostly 
good defenses. At least they look like they ranked in the top 20 or got turnovers the next year. I don't know what to think, to be honest. I think college defensive coordinators may be ahead of the curve in terms of stopping these newer offenses around the league as they become more like college offenses. He may have an advantage there, and I like that idea, if true. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't know. The list of candidates are very uh, inexperienced in, in, at the NFL level, so I guess we're putting full trust in Zach Taylor in making this decision. As we have with so many. Our second piece of Bengals-related news today is another coaching hire. The Bengals also hired Mueller head coach Doug Rossfeld today as an administrative assistant to the head coach. Zach Taylor and Rossfeld worked together at the University of Cincinnati, where Rossfeld was the director of player development. After that, he coached one year in Mueller, going undefeated in conference play and being named coach of the year in his first year of GCL head coaching. Joe, there's been some noise made about what it means to be hiring a high school coach and jumping directly into the NFL. What are your thoughts? He also has college experience, uh, player development, whatever that means. I, I think it makes sense for Zach Taylor if he's going to be focused on the offense, calling offensive plays, um, building that unit. is He's going to need some help in, from the administrative side. The same way Marvin Lewis did in bringing Hugh Jackson in, right? He said he's going to call defensive plays, being the defensive game planning. He needed someone to help with the day-to-day duties of a head coach. Uh, I think this probably sounds like a similar role for, for uh, bringing in the Mueller head coach and. If it works, that's fine. No huge thoughts from either. Either it's a pretty minor role as far as coaching roles go, and it's not assistant head coach. It is assistant to the head coach, just to get yes. that clear. Just like you, Jackson. And just like Dwight from The Office. Exactly. One last piece of news here before we get into the win-now plan. Kyler Murray has made a definitive definitive announcement about his future. On Twitter, he says, Moving forward, I am firmly and fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Football has been my love and passion my entire life. I was raised to play QB, and I very much look forward to dedicating 100% of myself to being the best QB possible and winning NFL championships. I have started an extensive training program to further prepare myself for upcoming NFL workouts and interviews. I eagerly await the opportunity to continue to prove to NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback in this draft. Powerful words. I love it. I'm so excited to hear this. This is this got a few fist bumps from me. Um, I think a little too late. I mean, not not too late, but later than I think everyone wanted to hear this. As soon as he declared, I assume this is what he meant. And then he had a few weeks of uh, weird interviews promoting. So I don't even remember what he was promoting, Gillette or something like that. But anyways, now this is what you want to hear. And it's a manufactured statement. I hope it's true. I hope this is exactly what he's doing. But he's got a very short time until the NFL Combine now, two weeks. He needs to put on weight. I think if he can show up at 200 pounds, that's great. Baseball players don't really worry about that. So if he's hanging around 185 or so, that would be an issue, I think, for a lot of teams. So if he comes in at 5'9 and some change, 200 pounds, I think he's got his best chance to um, say he's got the build to, to withstand in the NFL. So he's got to do that. He's got to get ready to say the right things in, the, in those meeting rooms because that's going to be huge for quarterback. And based on 
interviews recently, he may not be ready for that. So that's what's going to win it over his size and his interviews at this point, because I think his talent and tape speaks for itself. That's right. He was extremely productive, extremely talented at the college level. There's obviously questions about his height and there are questions, as Joe said, how is he going to handle the interview process? How is he going to handle the the scrutiny that comes with being a top pick and, and his recent interviews uh, that comes into question for me. Before we get to the break, I just wanted to take a quick opportunity again to thank you all for listening and let you all know that we do still have sponsorship opportunities for the podcast and we're looking for the right local partners in Cincinnati. If you or your company want to reach Bengals fans, send us a note on Twitter or email us at LockdownBengals at gmail.com for more details. After the break, Joe and I will be back to talk about what a win-now off-season plan might look like for the Bengals. Stick with us. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Segment two is something we've wanted to talk about, I think, since we started discussing Zach Taylor and the future of the Bengals and starting this new day, as we've put it, and they've put it also. Uh, But I, I believe the question and maybe the split between a lot of approaches between fans and analysts are, are the Bengals in win now mode or are they in a rebuild situation? And I think there's arguments for both. I think in the, in this NFL, you can win now almost always and turn it around very quickly. It doesn't take a complete full rebuild like we were used to remembering four or five years. Oh, it's a five-year plan. I don't, I don't think that's very reasonable anymore. I believe you can turn it around or have immediate success. I, I look at the Rams going from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay. How much better so many of their players that were on that team under Fisher got better and produced better and had better results instantly making the team better without them making a bunch of drastic moves, even though they did sign guys like Andrew Whitworth and, and, and so on as bolster the offensive line, Robert Woods at receiver. Uh, so I do believe you can be in a win now mode just by getting the right staff in that can currently make your team much better than has performed recently. But what moves would that mean heading into the off season? I think that's the debate because even when we, yesterday on Mock Draft Monday, when we go through it, we're kind of, well, do we take this guy? Do we take a quarterback? And we kind of shied away from it with the idea of, I think if we fill a couple needs, we can get good production out of Andy Dalton. And we, I think Jake and I both realized that, that that approach is probably a win-now scenario. Is you are, If you put a right guard and right tackle and the weapons stay healthy and this offense resembles what the Rams did, I think you can get a lot of high-level production out of Andy Dalton. And if that's the case, you are bordering on eight wins just that, just there alone. And from there, that means you are in win-now mode. You can be like the Rams and make the playoffs year one under Sean Ta- I mean, Zach Taylor. So that's not crazy to say. But I think the, the question from there is, so how do you attack free agency? How do you attack the draft? Because I believe it's different. Jake agrees here that doing both, or approaching both 
and with the idea of we have a talented enough team and the right staff in place that we can, you know, add a few pieces, especially I think free agency, the Bengals, that's an area they've shied away from. And if, if we go into March new league year and we see the Bengals actually being active in free agency, I think that gives us our answer of they believe they can win early. Uh, so for me, free agency, especially I looked at right tackle and linebacker as area of areas of need. I feel if you can secure either one of those or both with one linebacker signing and one offensive lineman signing, you can go into the draft with the idea or at least the openness of being best player available that can help you in, in numerous ways that you probably can't foresee it being an issue or need because injuries are going to happen in the following year. Um, we wrote down a few players, Jake, I want to get your thoughts before we get into a few players that make sense. Yeah, we'll get to the players here in a second. Uh, we we have a little bit of a philosophical disagreement, I think, maybe on how to approach the first round or two of the draft, and we can talk about that a little bit too. I personally, if I'm going into a win-now win mentality, I might be drafting a little bit for need in that first round. It's, it's always a, a marriage of value and need, right? So when we talk about, like we did yesterday, when we talk about Devin White versus Ed Oliver, Maybe at that point I go to Devin White instead because I think he's going to make an impact at a position of need, whereas I think I can get by maybe leaning on Geno Atkins for another year. But let's talk about the free agents, and we'll get into some of the draft implications as well. We talked about a few positions that we need to highlight, and that's linebacker and tackle. We've talked about a couple of these players before, especially at linebacker and KJ Wright and Quan Alexander. Tell me about your thoughts on those two guys. K.J. Wright and Quan Alexander, yeah, those are the two we keep highlighting. I would add Jordan Hicks also. Um, just from athleticism, coverage-wise, he seems to grade there well in pro football focus. Plus, dealing with injuries, that is the biggest hindrance to him making a lot of money, and he he would seem like a, a solid value, relatively speaking, in free agency, and he'll get signed probably in the first two weeks. But specifically on K.J. Wright and Quan Alexander, um, Quan's 24 years old from the Buccaneers. KJ Wright's 29 years old, so that five-year gap definitely will have some bearing on how much they're worth or, or how we should view them. I think in a win-now mode, really doesn't matter. We're willing to take on upgrades, uh, even at 29 years old, which KJ Wright is. For me, I like the idea of the better athlete, even though he's much smaller, and that's Quan Alexander. I think he's been better in coverage than he has against the run, while as while KJ Wright is maybe more well-rounded. Uh, and both guys, to me, are weak side linebackers, outside linebackers. They can play in nickel. Quan Alexander dealt with injuries last year. Hopefully that keeps his price down. But I think we could be looking at 8 to $10 million for either one of these guys annually. I don't think that comes close to what C.J. Mosley and Anthony Barr get as the top two guys. Mosley's 26, Anthony Barr's 27. I can easily see them um, getting much more money. So for me, I end up looking at, I think, Jordan Hicks, Quan Alexander, K.J. Wright, and I'd be interested in Thomas Davis, even though he's 36 years old, if we believe we can win next year or he can help develop some of these linebackers that really haven't on this roster, because I still have hope in Vigil, Malik Jefferson, maybe even Jordan Evans. If he can help any of those guys reach starter level or quality starter level, that's worth worth the investment, in my opinion. But if we're win now, we want to eliminate one of the linebacker needs because they probably have two. I'm down for any one of those guys, especially the guys that make sense value-wise in terms of Hicks, Alexander, and Wright. And when I mean value, I still think those guys are getting paid a lot. 
Yeah, and and they might be out of the Bengals' price range from the get-go, but those are the guys I would consider too, those three. And I don't know if I'm as much on the Thomas Davis train just because we've seen them bring in the veterans in the past, and we haven't necessarily seen that work out. But that was under Marvin Lewis, and we have a new coaching staff, so who knows how that would go under a new regime. My preference is and has been K.J. Wright from the get-go. I know you have a slight preference to the smaller athlete and Quan Alexander, but K.J. Wright... Despite the relative athleticism limitations to Quan Alexander has been very good in coverage and has been that all-round guy who I don't ever have to worry about getting swallowed up in the run game because he has 20 pounds and three inches on his arms against Quan Alexander. He gives up a little bit in terms of fluidity of movement, but he's shown that he can stay with running backs and tight ends in coverage. So that's just where I am personally. I wouldn't be upset with either one of them, though. The other thing we want to talk about outside of linebacker at really focusing on in free agency. Well, actually, before we get there, what about Vontez Perfect? Right. Because I think if you're in a win now mode, do you, I think Preston Brown, in the same token, do you say, well, we can bring these two guys back and there's two starting linebackers and hope for better play out of Perfect? Hope that a change of management and coaching staff can kick him into gear a little bit as he won't have maybe the same safety net he had under Marvin Lewis. And if that's the case, then you could have a good starting linebacker in the mold that perfect was for most of his career, you know, without the injuries, he's been a high level player. Um, So there is some thought there that you have probably potentially a guy on the roster that is good enough. I just think the way he's been unreliable, I think I would take him with the same, way I would take Tyler Eifert and I'd want to bring Eifert back in this win now mode. So I, I guess I should be interested in bringing perfect back. Those guys are maybe, maybe give you 40% of the snaps during the season and they may be high level snaps. They weren't for perfect last year, but I think there is a scenario where they are and, and you're better for it. So I'm not completely against bringing him back or Eifert back. Actually, I kind of, I want to bring Eifert back, but uh, attacking linebackers definitely on the list in free agency if I think they're trying to win. Yeah, I agree with attacking linebacker. I don't know if I agree about bringing Burfecht back, even if even if he can get back to that level of play. I think that that is not necessarily a likely outcome. And his unreliability in terms of four-game suspensions at the beginning of the year for whatever reason, and we're not expecting one this year, but he's missed games for suspension, and then he just can't seem to stay healthy. And if it was just those two things and he played well last year when he was on the field, great. And he did occasionally flash that. But those combined concerns are enough enough for me to kind of say, let's bring Preston Brown back. Hope he stays healthy. He can play NFL-level snaps. And, and then you address the rest of it in free agency in the draft. Moving on now, though, let's talk about offensive line. We both agree, I think, that they need to go find a right tackle that's going to come in and start and who are the options? Yeah, I think it's decent. There's four guys here that either have pedigree, have played well, but the, the best part about them is they're 25 and 26 years old. They're, they're ranked on Roto World. Evan Silva does a great job of ranking these guys. It's Trent Brown, number one, uh, from the Patriots. Patriots stole him for a late day three pick, as they tend to do, and turned him into a stud, moving him from right tackle to left tackle from the 49ers. I'd be interested in him if he if his price was fair. I think he he was good for the 49ers. It wasn't that um, you know he wasn't. And they magically turned him into somebody. They just made him even better with that 
off offensive line coach Dante Scarnecchia doing his magic. I think because of that, because he's 26, he's going to get overpaid. Uh, but if there's a chance he doesn't, I think he is the ideal type of guy I'd want at right tackle. And then there's Donovan Smith, who was a, I want to say, second rounder, uh, but a premium pick for the Buccaneers. He's 25 years old. He's been steady, but not great for four years for them. Juwan James from Miami Dolphins, he's 26 years old. He was there when Jim Turner was there. Uh, Zach Taylor, there may be some connection. They may feel feel comfortable with him. It would be an upgrade. He's been kind of up and down, but quality enough to to pay in free agency. And then Daryl Williams from the Panthers dealt with injuries last year. But he had a really good year two years ago for them. Uh, he was a guy I liked coming out of the draft. He's 26 years old, big, strong, right tackle type. I think they even played him at guard a little bit when he did get healthy. But looking at last year's free agency and looking at tackles, it's just sometimes hard to fathom the Bengals even attacking that position with their past history. Nate Solder, who was 29 years old from the Patriots, former first-round pick, got four years, $62 million from the Giants. I just... You cannot see the Bengals even touching that. And then Justin Pugh was the next. He was 27 years old, got five years, $45 million deal from the Cardinals. I think the comparable may be Chris Hubbard. He was 26 years old. He signed with the Cleveland Browns, five years, $36.5 million. Um, up and down deal, I think, for our play for, for what he did in year one. Uh, but I think he's the most comparable guy here because everyone else was one-year deals after that. So if we're talking you know, seven, eight, nine million dollars a year for these guys, it'll be hard to see the Bengals really stomach that. And I could see it even going to ten million for for a couple. Where do you think Darrell Williams falls onto that money money range? He might be like the guys that got the one or two year deals here that were, you know, coming off injury, um, and inconsistency and I would be interested in him even if it got up to you know, if we're talking two years and twenty million, but it's a short term deal you know, for two years if he can't stay healthy. But I think I'd be interested either way in a lot of these guys because I think that's the going rate. I mean, every year you see a guy like Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu get $8 million a year, and at the time you like, oh, that's a lot of money. You can't pay a number two receiver. And then three years later, you're like, well, that's not really that bad. This was the going rate. Yeah, and that's just the nature of inflation in the NFL. A lot of times we see these deals and everyone loses their minds about how much these guys are getting paid and then the cap goes up 10% year over year and then all those deals look pretty reasonable in retrospect. Just a few more positions to talk about here. Some of these are pretty obvious. So quarterback, if it's win now, it's Andy Dalton. There's not enough time to find somebody else, bring him in. If it's in the draft especially and expect to win now, there isn't. Maybe, maybe there's that guy in the draft. Maybe we're all wrong about that. But even Patrick Mahomes took a year. Uh, Joe, agree? Disagree? No, I agree. I think if they do nothing at quarterback or, you know, third round, fourth round or later, you're you're in win-now mode. I think if, if you have a veteran quarterback that's being paid a veteran salary, you better be in win-now mode or else what are you doing? Because that's not the best way to build a team and, and maximize the gap, in my opinion. So, uh I could see a scenario where they kind of do both. I mean, what would you say the, the Chiefs were in when they drafted Mahomes? Were they in win now with Alex Smith? It wasn't a brand new coach. I think that's the biggest difference, right? So I was going to say, use them as an example, is they still tried to win with their Andy Dalton, but at the same time investing into their future, which if we see a marriage, then this this discussion will probably still last for another, another year, another offseason. 
Yeah, and in the Patrick Mahomes case, it was they weren't. I mean, they were they had the pieces in place, right? Like they thought they could be competitive with Alex Smith, but then there was somebody there that they wanted. The Bengals aren't really in that position where they're coming off a, a series of winning seasons, right? We're coming off a, one of the worst seasons that we've seen from the Bengals. So, or, or worst stretches, anyway, under Marvin Lewis. So, with a new regime, again, not a regime change in, in KC, right? Yeah. So, maybe that's not a great comparable. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't think as a quarterback in the first round, if you want to win now. But if they're really confident about the roster they have, maybe it is. Because like you said, and this kind of feeds into the last point we want to make here, if if we're addressing it as in we have the talent on the team, how does that affect your approach in the draft? Are you trying to get a guy in the first round that can come in and make an impact in year one? I know you've got the information that says veterans generally outperform rookies, as you would think. And you're saying, well, maybe you just take the best player available, and if they help, they help. What do you, what do you want to summarize yeah. that with? Yeah, BPA feels like a future draft pick whenever you do it. Like, oh, we'll take William Jackson. We don't need him now. Um, he'll be a good player for us in two years or three years. Bengals have operated under that way, and it feels like a uh, future you know, need type of pick. I think anything other than right tackle or linebacker would feel that way for a lot of fans. If they took corner, if they took um, a quarterback, if they took a tight end, because tight ends – historically don't help much as rookies if they took a defensive tackle i think all of those make sense on the surface but at the same or even deeper level looking at it but at the same time they may not give you a huge impact as rookies i don't think that means you're not trying to win now though Uh, you look at the teams that didn't get a lot of snaps from rookies made it to the super bowl with the rams i think it was 500 snaps out of rookies they had the lowest amount in the league um, the Patriots, while they didn't get anything out of Isaiah Wynn, their first pick because he was injured, they didn't get anything out of Duke Dawson either, third round, I believe. Um, they drafted Sony Michelle in the first round. Running back should be able to step in and make an impact, so that makes sense there. Even still, it was only about 400 snaps. And then I, I want to say he was undrafted. J.C. Jackson played a lot of corner for them. Really, they were at the bottom again for rookie snaps. So if you believe you have a good veteran team, you can play the draft and let it play out and take the best player and worry about it later. If they're going to help you in a sub package or in a minor role on your way to winning a playoff game, I don't think anyone would complain. I think the complaints come when they draft a guy going best player available, have a losing season and then don't use that guy, which we saw plenty of times. So there are some thoughts on the ways the Bengals can approach the offseason if they go into win-now mode. The last note there is on the tight end front, like you said, we want to keep Tyler Eifert just for that upside. If he does stay healthy, that is absolutely transformative. And then Tyler Croft and Uzama as backups are just relatively reliable guys. Tyler Croft, of course, coming off injury. But that's what we think for the tight end position. Those are the big ones that we think you need to address right away. After the break, we'll be back with anecdotes about what may break your Bengals fandom in a hypothetical world. For me, I don't think it's anything at this point, but we'll get a story from Joe after the break. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Bengals fans, to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We got a good question today from a Twitter friend, Waldo Roran. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. I've actually never said it out loud, but that's how it's spelled. Um, He asked us, basically, what would it take, after everything we've been through as Bengals fans, losing years, Marvin Lewis for 16 years, playoff losses, the dark ages in the 90s, um, them, the Mike Brown, general feeling of them not putting every foot forward to win, everything you can think of. What would it take for you to move on from being a Bengals fan? And I think a lot of people, if you're still here and still a Bengals fan after all this time and still watching football in general, I, I think there's nothing that would break you. I've seen some people reply that, the Bengals moving to another city would do it. I saw someone reply that if they changed their helmets, that would do it. I, I can sympathize there. I, I love the helmets. But I have my own story. It goes, uh, I'm not from Cincinnati. I live outside of Buffalo. Most of my friends and family are Buffalo Bills fans. I grew. I was born in 87, grew up in the 90s. So I didn't see a lot of those terrible Bengals years. They weren't on TV. I remember people joking or asking me when I would say I'm a Bengals fan. Here I am, 10, 11, 12 years old. They'd say, is that even a professional team? Or they did they get relegated to college? I'm a race to think this as a, as a young kid. Like, is that possible? Are they that bad they could do this? And my father said, you know, you don't have to like the Bengals. I know you're 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 staying with this. You're you're kind of stuck in this. You know, I commend you for it. But you don't have to choose them. That you you barely get to see them. Maybe once a year. I used to watch highlights like crazy at the time. ESPN. I mean, everything was packaged so well, and that's just what you did. Uh, I listened on the radio also, but for the most part, I didn't get to see them and I didn't have that attachment. And my father said to me, why don't you pick a different team? At least one year. You can still watch the Bengals if they're on, but why don't you pick another team to really get yourself into football? He goes, you were born outside of Tampa Bay. Why don't you watch the Buccaneers? They're on TV. They've been fun. They've been interesting recently. And this is 2000, 2001 range. Uh, They lost under Tony Dungy in the playoffs to the Rams. They had a really fun team. And I said, okay. For one year, I'm going to watch another team because the Bengals have been so bad. And at least it'll give me something to really sink my teeth in football-wise. I was really getting into it. I really wanted to root for someone. So the Bucks were on a lot of primetime games, a lot of Fox 4 o'clock games, 1 o'clock games that were on for me. So I started to watch the Buccaneers in 2002, and I got really into it. And the Bengals had a terrible year that year, I think 2-14. and 14, So I really didn't miss them at all. And I watched a lot of Buccaneers games and very good defense, obviously all-time type defense with Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and Simeon Rice at end. Uh, it was it was fun. I had a lot of good time and good memory from that year of watching that team. And John Gruden was traded for to be the head coach. It was Brad Johnson and Michael Pittman and Mike Allstott in the backfield, Keyshawn Johnson, Keenan McCardell, Joe Juravicious. I mean, I can remember that team and a lot of the plays they ran and they had a great regular season. They got into the playoffs. I had a jersey. I had a Derek Brooks jersey. I uh, I watched the playoff game. They beat the 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 Eagles at the link to close down that that field. Um, after Joe Jervicious, I believe, lost his his baby, he had a huge 70-yard catch. Rondé Barber with a cast on his hand, caught an interception, returned it for a touchdown. They beat the Eagles, and they went to the Super Bowl. First year liking this team, right? First year, I'm like, I'm going to try a new team, and they go to the Super Bowl. And it was exciting. 
and they won. They beat the, the they beat the Raiders in epic fashion with that defense and, and beating Rich Gannon. Um, Sluggo Seam intercepting the ball and, and returning it. I think five interceptions, two return for touchdown. Dexter Jackson, future Bengal, was a was a um, MVP of that game. So here I am, first time not watching the Bengals or trying to be interested in them, saying I'm going to switch teams, and the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. Me, as a Bengals fan, here I am. I got to experience a Super Bowl win in my fandom that not, you know, many Bengals fans, unless they've had a similar experience, cannot say. And it killed my enjoyment for the Buccaneers. Off the first year, it felt so unearned. It felt so cheap. Here I am thinking, that's not right. You shouldn't do this. You should not just pick a team that's semi-good. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to pick the team that's going to win it. What are the chances? And then they win it all, and I didn't watch the Bucks after that. And here are the Bengals with the first pick, and I was just starting to get into the draft and the idea of picking a franchise quarterback at number one. 2003 draft, they draft Carson Palmer, and they they hire Marvin Lewis, and I was fully in on the Bengals at that point. I, I feel like the win, the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? My The Bengals who had my heart but I was trying to give my attention to the Bucs. They win it. The Bengals have the worst record in the league. Completely start over, completely brand new, bring in a new coach, new energy, draft a quarterback number one. It was the perfect recipe to kick my love for the Bengals into a new level and a new gear. And it's just weird to me that I, it happened because I tried to pick another team and they won the Super Bowl in that year. And it's not like you picked the modern Patriots where you were expecting them to win. You picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Exactly. They've never one year. won. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I guess that'd be like picking the, the Falcons right now. And you said, you know what? The Falcons have been decent recently. They're fun to an extent. They've dealt with issues. I'm going to pick the Falcons. And then they go out and win it in year one. It just, I think about that a lot because I, I liked the Bucks a lot that year. I was into it. As, as, as I'm into the Bengals now, 13-year-old me was into the Buccaneers and can remember specific plays and, and specific moments and that feeling and that win killed all the fun. I mean, I guess that makes some sense. If you feel like it needs to be earned, get that blue collar mentality, work for what it work for what you get. That all makes sense to me. I still got that Derek Brooks jersey. It's got a Super Bowl patch on it. It's in my basement. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna wear it. I'll, I'll quickly answer for me because I am the Cincinnati boy. I grew up in Cincinnati, where everyone asks the question, "What high school did you go to?" I personally am not a Moeller fan, actually. I went to Princeton High School, and uh, back when I was at Princeton High School, there was a huge rivalry between Moeller and Princeton. We used to be the powerhouses of Cincinnati, and Princeton's fallen by the wayside since then, and Moeller, being the good Christian school it is, has not. Uh, they can recruit, of course. They're a private school and whatnot. Anyway, uh, for me, if they moved away from Cincinnati, that might put a damper on it, but there's this cycle that happens as a football fan. And the cycle is, even if you don't like a lot of things about the team, there's enough players, there's enough people in the front office maybe that you get attached to, that you develop an affinity for. And as long as those guys are around, you stick around. So for me, I, I kind of started at the same time as you, Joe. Like my first real Bengals memories are Marvin Lewis being hired, Carson Palmer being drafted. I, and I remember stuff before then, but that's when I really started paying attention. And then they were exciting. Carson Palmer, that, that era of Bengals football was exciting. And then 
that started to kind of go away and they brought in T.O. as this desperation move and I was ready to move on. But then the next year they draft A.J. Green in the first round. I'm like, okay, A.J. Green's a good dude. I can support a team with A.J. Green on it. And then they get Andy Dalton in the second round and I'm expecting them to be terrible again and to have another top pick and to get more players in the next draft. And instead they go out and what, they're 8-8 eight and eight in Dalton's first year? No, they made the playoffs. No, they made the playoffs in his first five years. That's right. And... That 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 sucked me right back in, and it wasn't because Dalton was a perfect quarterback or anything, but you know they had Hugh Jackson at offensive coordinator that year, and that was a really exciting year. AJ Green has always been a lot of fun to watch. Marvin Jones, George Iloka, all these guys, Tyler Eifert, that are guys that I've become invested in as players, and now we have a new coaching staff coming in, and it's just getting me back on the hook again. Like, okay, what's Zach Taylor going to do? Who are they going to draft that I'm going to like a lot? And there's still players on the team, A.J. Green, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, you know, maybe Tyler Eifert, William Jackson, uh, Tyler Boyd, that are players that I've developed an affinity for because I watch them every week. So for me, it's that cycle that's going to keep me on the Bengals bandwagon, and I I don't really see that breaking. I, I, I do have some love for the Vikings now because of Mike Zimmer. So yeah. that's one little splinter that's kind of happened where if the Vikings are doing well, I'm for it, but... You know, if the Vikings are playing the Bengals, that's that's not even a question for me. Right. And I would say also, the community helps. I, You know, back in the day, and for me not living in Cincinnati, I couldn't talk Bengals football with anybody. I'd go on the message boards when those first started, and then, you know, as, as other mediums opened up, Twitter especially. But just everyone that writes, creates content, podcasts, people just talking to each other on the internet, and message boards, Reddit, wherever you're on. That helps you get through it. If everyone's suffering together, we kind of can look at the bright side and be like, well, what, we should do this or that. And the conversation sparks up. I think the conversation is a huge reason why you can continue to be a fan of whatever team it is. Just for dreaming of better days and that we're all in it together. And hopefully when we make it one day to where we want to be, we can do it together because those guys will still be there. And, and that's why we're doing this, I think, too. That's a big reason that Joe and I came together, what was it, six, seven, eight years ago to come up with a grading system. We've done projects together from through the years, and now we're doing this podcast, and we're doing it for that community. So we're glad you're here with us, and I don't think we're going anywhere. No, we're not. I, we're going to ride this until they win it. So we're going to be old. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in 50 years. No, that's too pessimistic, right? <laughs> 50? Yeah, 30. 30. <laughs> let's, let's hope for better with Zach Taylor. Uh, coming up tomorrow, guys, we're going to talk about what a rebuild might look like. Joe, do we have anything else on the docket for tomorrow? I've got something coming on The Athletic. It's the my first or full report on Devin White, the guy that's most often mocked to the Bengals. So look for that. Um, I've got some interesting things that scare me a bit about him, but also I think could offer some upside. All right. So check out those two things tomorrow. We'll have more for you. Keeping up on all the Bengals news, analysis, This has been the Locked On Bengals podcast, your only daily Bengals podcast on the net. We'll see you tomorrow, Bengals fans. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? 
Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.